Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Sean is a financial advisor with Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is always gracious enough to be on the show every week. So, Sean, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing really good. Feeling uh, excited and uh you know, looking, looking for opportunities as we move into the hurricane season and everything else. So, well, yeah, based on yesterday's close, it sounds like there's plenty of opportunities out there to uh, to come our way. There was a uh, pretty big correction in corn and beans yesterday. Well, pretty much everything yesterday. There's a pretty big correction, and a lot of it having to do with uh, the fact that they're they're still hung up on this massive banner bin busting crop that uh, that's going to come around. So. I guess give me your reactions to yesterday's yesterday's trade and uh, what you saw happen there. If you really think this through, not this past Monday, but last Monday, when the crop corn conditions came out three points higher uh, from the USDA on Monday evening from the prior week, that set the whole thing off, really. The market at that point decided the crops were made on corn. And we've been sell, selling off ever since. And then yesterday, FC Stone, uh, you know, who's a widely followed firm in agriculture, came out with a 182 uh, corn yield based upon their, um, their analysis. And the market took that and used that as a reason to sell further. And then what happens at some point, Casey, is the margin calls build up. You break technical support. More traded sellers come in. You know, and, and 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 so it just starts to feed itself. And then all of a sudden the soybean market started to fall because the same people that are in corn are in soybeans and they're in wheat. And then what you had all of a sudden, the whole grain complex is being sold because the corn market was under 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 duress. So you just kind of had an all out sell it all yesterday for the grain complex. Um, and that happens sometimes, especially as we get uh close to harvest, you know, the market sometimes can get a little schizophrenic like that when it gets overly bearish. So. Yeah. Okay. So let's take, let's talk about some areas of the world of, of interest here. There is a, the La Nina effect are starting to take effect into, excuse me, into Western Africa, like you, you talked about. Um, first of all, so I'm referencing your latest report you just put out and I've had about three minutes to read it. You got it to me. Uh, pretty, Right on time, man. And it was, uh, it was a, I read the executive summary and the beginning of it, um, you kind of outline the, uh, the heat is back and that, that is for sure. So I hear where I'm at heat right now is, um, I think we're supposed to be 95 plus degrees for the next, well, pretty much for the month of August. I think, I don't think there's any real, I don't think there's any, anything, any day less than 90 two or three or something like that for the next three days. Um, winds blowing, those kind of things. So out here the conditions are are, are very hot and very dry. Um, we're getting the rain, but it's just it's very sporadic and it's not widespread by any means. And I think it's the same story as you look across the Midwest. So 
let's start there. Let's talk about <clears throat> the weather patterns that you see um, taking hold in, in the Midwest and it's the key growing areas of, uh, of, of corn and soybean country. Because I can tell you out here that when corn was pollinated, it was 100 and some degrees and not a lot of moisture going around. So um, from the road, the corn looks good. I imagine if you wait out to the middle of it and start looking at ears and what have you, that they're not going to be as big and full as, as what we've seen in the past. So talk about the weather pattern you see there and how that what that effect is that you're going to see on the overall um, yields right now. Well, June, June, July temperatures are in. We actually have the exact numbers. And we went back to, to 1970, Casey, and looked at the average te temperatures just for the Corn Belt. You know, where the prime corn belt regions are, Nebraska, Illinois, uh, Iowa, that sort of thing. And, um, and so this ranks is uh, one, of the, one of the top seven hottest June, Julys since 1970. We went back uh, and, and we looked at, and we only picked out areas that had what we would call uh, average to somewhat below average rainfall, meaning not everybody had a drought but there were dry spots. There were some spots that got rain, but it was, as you said, kind of scattered hodgepodge. And every one of those years, we had a below trend line corn yield except for one in 1987, where we were marginally above trend. So with this year having uh, temperatures equally as hot and with overall moisture being below average, it's hard for us to conceive that the 182 yield that seems to be coming around the consensus like FC Stone are going to be correct. I think it's been 10 years, Casey, since we had a hot summer like this. It's been a long time. And I think the market's just forgotten what high temperatures can do to corn pollination and corn yields because um, it hasn't happened in a while. We, the last time we had a, a, a June, July this hot was 2010-11. Now we take the drought years off like 2012, 1988, that's just, this is not a drought year like that, you know, where everyone got right. nothing. I mean, uh, we, we want to separate that because that's a catastrophic year, okay? Right, yep. So when we look at that, it, it, we just, I, I don't see, yes, the crop looks great. Remember in 2010, the crop looked just as good as it does today. And, crop, and the corn yields came in 10 bushel to the acre below trend that year. And they had better moisture than this year. So, so we're sticking to our guns. Have the genetics improved so dramatically that heat no longer matters? Anything's possible, but we doubt it. Uh, and we just think the market's misanalyzing the market, thinking, well, it looks so good, it has to be good. And they're not correctly modulating the heat that we've had. So now that's that's June, July. August, we had, we're having a little bit of a cool start, Casey, in let's say Central East, having a little bit of a, of a, of a break from the heat, but the heat is gonna start to come back to those regions as we move in the middle of August, you already have it. You know, you you already have it. It's going to start migrating from west to east, um, and it's going to dry out again. So La Nina, if you look at the actual sea surface temperatures of the Central Pacific, we're at minus 0.8 now. It's the strongest La Nina signal we've had all summer. 0.5 minus 0.5, you need to have a is the minimum threshold for La Nina. We got to minus 0.8 this week, according to the NOAA measuring. Uh, you know, the, the, the measuring that they do for the sea surface temperature. So, so this means that, you know, that, that La Nina is starting to dig its heels in, as we've been talking about, it's going to get more impactful. And that means a warm, dry finish to August. And so we think soybeans could catch a bit here. Um, 
you know, pod, while corn pollination is primarily done, pod setting is just getting started. So um, if that heat comes in middle of August and onward with the soybean market, which sold off because of this cooler weather, you know, we think there could be some buyers come back into the soybean market as they may have overplayed this early cool start um, and, and maybe misjudged that the fact that the heat's going to come roaring back. So, so overall, we think much of the selling is behind us. There could be some follow through on, you know, margin call selling, some games being played with technical uh, sell stop orders and such. But we think we're going to dig our heels in here uh, and, and start to rally by the end of the week ahead of next week's report from the USDA. Oftentimes the market sells the news. I mean, sells the rumor of the report and then buys back as we actually get the report itself. That's what we think we're doing now. Okay. Explain that La Nina negative 0.8 thing. What, what, what does that mean? Okay. So if you look at the Pacific Ocean and you look at the center of the Pacific Ocean, right where the equator is, right? And La Nina means you have warmer than normal temperature. So a plus 0.5, that means that temperatures are 0.5 degrees above normal. Okay. A minus 0.5 means that those central Pacific sea surface temperatures are 0.5 degrees, or in this case, 0.8 degrees below normal, cooler than normal. Okay. And in order for a La Nina to be considered, you have to have at least, you have to at least be minus 0.5. Right now, minus 0.8. It can get to minus two degrees below, by the way. That's when you have a what they call a super La Nina. We expect to have a super La Nina coming in 21, 22, where it's two degrees or a degree and a half below normal. We're just getting started with a just getting started with a weak La Nina that's going to really get going next year and the year after. And that's why we're really concerned about weather volatility coming off the rails uh, with historic winter coming for 21, 22, and two back-to-back more, you know, what we think could be a severe drought like 2012, either in next summer or the summer after. So we're really concerned uh, that weather is going to get really ugly here in the next couple of years. And not just here. This is not just a U.S. phenomenon. This is a Northern Hemisphere phenomenon. We want to be looking at Russia, especially Russia, for something to happen. If you remember 2010-11, the Great Russian Drought tr- dropped wheat production almost in half during that period of time. So as big as, as Russia has become as the number one exporter in the world of wheat, yeah, you know, that's that's another region to watch for some big time weather problems coming up. This is just, we're just getting started, Casey. So I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is the warmer, drier pattern we've seen this year, albeit not the drought year, it is a precursor to what's coming. So Exciting. Good news, Sean. Um. <laughs> well, prices will go up a lot, so there will be, there will be an opportunity to sell right. forward years. So, you know, I'm not looking forward to having, you know, farmers have a poor crop at the same time if you can get prices higher and they can sell forward when the crops get better you know we need to do something we, we can't be living with sub three dollar cash corn for very long so no that's that's a good that's a good point no we can't we can't be doing that so all right so let's talk about case okay, so you like you're talking about there we're talking it's having some effects already in western africa right now and according to your report and there is a uh, uh and that's in a key We've never talked about this before, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. But it's a key cocoa growing area. 65% of the world's cocoa comes from that area. And that is over in the soft market. So talk about OJ with the hurricane season coming up and, and what you see with cocoa. Well, Ivory Coast and Ghana produce 65% of total production. Just think. So anything that goes wrong in that region, as you can imagine, is hyper 
sensitive to to the to the market. So we've already seen cocoa prices rally from 2200 to 2450 uh, just in the last week on this developing dryness. Uh, and it looks to us, Casey, like it's going to this is going to continue for the better part of August. And and you know we're coming into a pretty important period for uh, crop yield determination. It's their off season, meaning you know. Uh, tree crops like cocoa have a good, a, a, a big season, a slow season, a big season, a low season. Trees have to rest and then they put out. They have to rest and then they have to put out. So this is the rest year. So in a rest year, if we have poor weather, you can have a really small crop. So it's really something that could t- take this market up a lot higher if it continues beyond mid-August. And we think there's a very good chance, uh, Casey, that it will. La Nina is notorious for causing drought-driven rallies in the cocoa market, especially in the late summer into the fall. So uh, it, it, is a, it is a market to watch, and it's already on the move. So in terms of hurricanes, La Nina is notorious for active, active Atlantic hurricane seasons. We've already had nine named storms, um, but they haven't really impacted too much because it's too early in the season. But from late August into the middle of October, is the period where the U.S. normally gets impacted by making having these storms make landfall. And so the Gulf Coast, especially the Deep South and near Louisiana, South Florida, unfortunately, where I live, is going to be uh, in the crosshairs. And the, uh, the East Coast, especially North Carolina and even up into, um, into the Northeast, that if you saw that track of that storm, that it, that it kind of shade Florida right up the East Coast. Yeah. We think that could happen again and again, but with a much more powerful storm than the one that came through. That means, so what does that mean? It means orange juice, which is grown in central Florida, rice, which is grown, uh, Arkansas represents half of U.S. rice production, which is right there in the deep south where Gulf storms love to come in. And of course, cotton, Texas, deep south, southeast. We think there's going to be a lot of potential trading opportunities for those three markets. When, if a storm gets confirmed to start heading in that area, everyone needs to be on the lookout, not only for buying opportunities, but selling opportunities. There's always a post-mortem storm leaves aftermath buyer's remorse correction that happens after storms come and go. So lots of, I guess what I'm getting at, Casey, lots of volatility in these three markets. So if you're a producer in cotton or rice or orange juice, you need to be looking for those kind of spike trades to sell. If you're on the buy side, you know you sure want to make sure you protect yourself uh, and, and put some protection in going into the season so you don't get caught having to buy into a spike trade, hurricane rally kind of a thing. It's, it's just not something, if you're on the buyer of these markets, a cash buyer, that you want to be chasing those markets into a vacuum like that. So, Okay, so one other thing we've talked about here quite a bit is that desert locust situation that we're seeing. And uh, in Africa, and over in the Horn of Africa, in those areas, it looks like it's kind of subsiding, but everything has moved north. And it looks like there's still a big issue um, in uh, along the India and Pakistan border where we see like some key growing areas for sugarcane, cotton, those kind of things. And um, still, still seems like there's a, a, a very big um, situation there, especially um, coming up into their monsoon season that we're seeing. So... What's your thoughts there, and, and is this uh, something starting to die out, or, or are we starting to see that resurgence of the second hatch come up? Come up? Well, they, they call them swarms, 
right? They, they, these desert locusts are called swarms. And the reason they're called swarms is because they have stages. We had the spring lay egg laying stage and they all hatched at the same time. And we had the spring swarms that took over Africa, took over the Middle East and even into Pakistan. That was the first wave. It got into India a little bit, but, but, but it wasn't, the, most of the egg laying didn't take place in India. But now what we had in, in July, we had the second wave, which is the summer egg laying season where, uh, and, and, and these swarms are bigger. So you get the initial one and then they actually expand and, and are lay more eggs than they did the first time. All those eggs are hatching now. So now we're going to get the summer swarm desert locust infestation that will impact August and September. That all took place much further into Pakistan and into India. So while the last swarms were mostly Africa, Middle Eastern concentrated, this swarm is going to be mostly what we call Pakistan, Northern India focused, and maybe a little bit of, of Middle East. So we're anticipating that, uh, that we're going to have a big problem with, and especially the Northern half of India. And we, when do they really grow in the Northern half? They grow a lot of cotton in Gujarat, uh, in that Northwest quadrant, they grow a lot of sugar. Uh, they grow a lot of rice. Uh, we would think those three markets are your three top markets that could be impacted where futures markets trade around the world. Um, so uh, we'll know a lot more here in another couple of weeks, exactly how bad it's going to get, how crazy they're swarming and, and some of the implications, but it's clearly could be a market driver that we've been talking about really since the early summer to be on the lookout for August summer swarm to see what happens. And so, so that's another area that we think could provide some spike trade opportunities in those three markets. And if you think about it, we already talked about cotton and rice for hurricane season. So we have hurricane season for cotton and rice, and now we have the desert locust potential for, for India. So it looks like those two markets seem to be in the crosshairs for a lot of different catalysts that could drive those markets higher over the next couple of months right now. A lot of stuff going on in the world right now, man. A lot of, a lot of crazy things happening all over the place, whether it's weather-related or locusts or... Well, I remember, uh, you know, the fall armyworm, which has been ravaging the yeah. corn crop in China. Yeah. Um, uh, that's going to start to become very evident in terms of the damage done as we get... Uh, as we start getting closer to harvest. Meaning what's going to happen is... Harvest is going to begin in China and they're going to go in those fields and realize, holy cow, these yields are way short. Last year in, in a lot of the Asian countries that had the fall underworm corn production, corn yields were down 10 to 15% on average from what they were supposed to be. So forgetting the floods that they're having there, which is another issue, but um, the fall underworm we think is, you know, the fall underworm loves the corn crop first. It, it, if all else, it'd rather eat the corn crop than any other crop out there if it has a choice. And so we'd really be looking for that to be a catalyst as the harvest begins there later on in August as another potential driver here for the corn market. And we think it's one of the reasons why we have $8 corn prices in China right now and why they're buying up you know, record amounts of U.S. corn. Uh, you know, we, we think there's something to the fact that they are fully aware that this corn crop is going to be in trouble there and they're getting ahead of the curve while U.S. farmers are willing to sell ahead of harvest. So while we're on that, the flooding thing, the uh, Three Gorges Dam, we've talked about a few times here, and it's on the it's on the, the uh, verge of 
of massive failure and and what that looks like. So if you right now there are typhoon seasons going on over there, and, and they've just about the time one river settles down, one of the other three, other two rivers that come together to form that area um, gets fired up. And right now there's the uh, uh, I can't remember the name of this river is but anyhow it's it's getting massive floods and they're talking about the uh oh yeah here the yangtes river it's uh <clears throat> it's really testing the uh, overall security of of what that dam looks like and and there is a uh from every article i've read so far it, there's a very high likelihood that that dam could fail so i guess well, remember, it's not just now, Casey. It's the next couple of months because right. the, the, the La Nina pattern means extremely wet Asia. Asia is very wet during uh, La Nina years, especially China. That, that that's what 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 we normally see. The problem is we're in a grand solar cycle minimum, so it amplifies the effect, and that's why we're having these epic, you know, one on one hundred year floods there because. That's what grand solar cycles do. They amplify things. So we think more, you know. More rainfall is going to be coming, um, and it's we'll have to see if that structure can hold up for another couple of months before the rain subside or not. Um, you know, getting information from China is very difficult to come by, as you know, and I don't know how bad or bad it isn't, other than to say, uh, I do believe there's damage being done to the to the dam, and that uh, there's a there's a there's a I've heard a 30% chance from engineers that know more about it than I do, uh, that know a little bit about dams and know a little bit about how that was constructed. They say there's, you know, maybe an excess of 30% chance that it could fail over the next couple of months if rainfall, if we get some more heavy rainfall and the pressure stays on. And, you know, I hope it, quite frankly, I hope it doesn't happen. You know, 465 million people yeah. would be impacted. Right now, about 50 to 60 million people are impacted. Still big numbers, but I mean, if 460 million people were underwater, it's a humanitarian disaster the yeah. likes we've not seen in modern history. So I deep down don't want, to, don't want to see it to happen. It's not up to me for it to happen. But if it were to happen, you know, the, the, the food problem, the humanitarian problem, in the forgetting the washed out crops, just all the crops that are in storage will be wiped out. Yeah. They'd be wiped out. I mean, they'd be, they'd be ruined. So it, it, it would put food scarcity on a level we have not seen in a very, very long time. So I think that's another reason that the Chinese are buying, starting to buy a lot of, of food from us. I think they're aware, very aware of the risks that are going on, and they're trying to get ahead of the curve there as well. Should it happen, Casey? I mean, obviously – you know, we would pray for the, the, the Chinese people that are impacted, but at the same time, the demand for food would go crazy, and um, and it would be good for U.S. prices, and it would be good for U.S. farmers, uh, you know, with that kind of demand coming in. Not that we want to have high prices on someone else's misery, but nonetheless, if it were to happen, it would be a huge driver that no one's really uh, – that no one could have anticipated would be even possible, but it is possible to have that it could happen this year. It's possible. That'd be crazy. That'd be almost half of their population would be displaced because of that. That's a, that's a big it number. It would be larger than the United States population would be impacted. We have 380 million, you know, give or take. 
It would be it would be the entire country of it would be like the entire United States being underwater. It, it's just yeah. I don't even I can't even get my hand I can't even wrap my hands around it. Quite frankly, yeah. like, just to put so, it scale. So needless to say, it it it, it you know it, it could cause one of the wildest dysfunctional global pricing for ag products we've seen in anyone's memory because the, the kind of the, the needs that would be required to to handle that loss of food production in a country as large as china is is unimaginable yeah um so so you know i don't know if it's going to happen um but if it were to happen it would be a catalyst that would overrun any bearish thought that anybody has right now and cause a bull market the likes we've never seen before yeah in our markets that'd be so. nuts it'd be the equivalent of everything east of the mississippi river being underwater and, and displacing that amount of, of people and land and everything. It was crazy to think about. And, 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 and the other wow. thing you have to remember that, that when this has happened before, I mean, this has happened before in China. I mean, this is not the first time. They, this dam wasn't there. This happened. Yeah. A couple, couple of times every century, this happened to them, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and I went back and I did research and I read the historical documents of what took place during those times. And it wasn't just that it ruined crop production and spoiled crop and supplies in the current year. It ruined crop production for two more years because right. of all the, uh, the the damage to the infrastructure, the soil. I mean, they, we they did not get back to production as usual. It took three years to four years to get back to normal. So, so, th so this this would have a tentacle beyond just the now. It would have a multi-year tentacle to it uh, before they could come out of it and get production back into the place it needed to be. So, it, it would be crazy. Uh, Casey and, and and of course if that were to happen while the, the La Nina kicks in for 21 22 I mean you could just you could start going wild with what could happen here with markets as bearish as people are today you could come up with a realistic scenario of some really wild stuff happening going forward depending on the sequence of what actually happens here so you know I'm not a I'm not a doomsdayer I'm just laying out what's possible right now that is the situation that is possible yeah it's possible yeah, it's a scary thing. I hope everything works out over there for him. So not to I, worry about I do this. too. I, I I really, I I really hope so. I hope so. We'll get our prices up another way. I, I don't want to get it up, get them up through through that way. But but if it's meant to happen, if that's the way it's supposed to go, and and it happens, there's nothing we can do to stop it. All we can do is help out by selling them a bunch of food. You know, that's that's, and then we will. Yeah, and so. and China's done a lot to evacuate those areas. Uh, downriver that that would be um, affected by that and what that looks like. So, knock on wood, everything works out for him. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, a lot of crazy stuff happened right now. Um, lots of reasons to have uh, keep your keep your eye to the forecast here. What's going on? If if folks want to reach out to you, Sean, and, and get some information about what's happening here, what, what's the best way for them to contact you? Our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, -T, advisors.com. Uh, lots of information on our front page, uh, sample reports, interviews, to have a good idea of, uh, to see what we do and to see if uh, how we look at things might be of value to your listeners. So Absolutely. One other thing, too, that I want to talk about is on August 9th, which is Sunday, Sean and I are going to do a, um, we're going to do a live, live deal on Twitter and a few other places, but um, the Moving Iron Summit that was going to take place in um, Nashville on September 1st through the 3rd had to cancel that due to COVID-19 and, and 
phase two restrictions in, in Nashville there. So um, looking at uh, moving that into January right now, just getting solidified on some dates. But but Sean has been gracious enough that he's going to uh, give his presentation that he was going to give there, and we're going to go live on on uh, a few other platforms so uh, people can watch that. So I'm looking forward to that, Sean. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. We got some, uh, it's going to take what we did last year at our conference, which is more of a broad approach to these weather cycles. Is it going to bring it a little more uh, granular and and get down to a little more of the specifics? And so I think, uh, I think it'll be a great extension to what we did last year and get people really uh, honed in onto what's coming. And we're right on it now, Casey. I mean, before it was, you know, it's a couple of years. It's now, now next year begins what I think is going to be the beginning of this wild ride we're going to be on with these, natural weather cycle. So it's a very timely uh, time to do this with your, uh, with your podcast show. So well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I think there's gonna be some great, great information come out of it. And, and, uh, I hope everybody gains something from that. So, um, again, the movie nine summit has been canceled for the September one through three, and we're going to look at some January dates, um, getting those solidified here with the hotel. And I'll make an announcement on that, um, pretty quick. So Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast. I'd love to be here. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity, Casey. All right, man. Appreciate it. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the Moving Iron Podcast, check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest podcasts as they get posted. Also, movingironllc.com has all the latest Moving Iron info. Check the Global Ag Network and the great podcasters there. And uh, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. In the 21st century Hard-working people Working hard for you and me Moving higher Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving